Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is 64 Tacos Book Club Episode 10, Doom Part 5. Hello and welcome to I Caught It on Audio. Today we're going to be doing our 64 Tacos Book Club podcast. This is the fifth episode in which we're going to be talking about the Frank Herbert sci-fi classic Dune. We are going to be covering the first half of book three, and Dan is going to start us off with a brief summary of this section. So this is the beginning of the book three, as Dave said, uh, called, I think, The Prophet. The first scene is the Baron furious because Fade Rautha has attempted to assassinate him. But fortunately for him, Thufir Hawat warned him that it was going to happen or he might be dead. And then the Baron kills a bunch of people to teach his uh, nephew a lesson. Then uh, we cut to the Baron and Thufir Hawat again, and they're making plans for the future. Um, and unsurprisingly, the Baron, like, once again, doesn't trust his mentat, just like he didn't trust Piter Debris. Then we cut to Paul. He is preparing for the ritual of uh, riding a uh, sandworm, which will make him a full Fremen in the eyes of the Fremen. We also get to meet his sister, who got messed up by being in the womb when the uh, sort of a uh, mental connection, the mind meld thing was made. She's a weirdo and makes everyone uncomfortable. Cut back to Paul. He's actually riding the sandworm. And then they come across some people in the desert that aren't supposed to be there. Turns out that that is Gurney Halleck and a bunch of smugglers who were lured out there by Paul. They are ambushed and defeated by Paul Stilgar and the other Fremen. We discover that some of the new guys in uh, Gurney Halleck's band are Sardakar, however that's pronounced, plants, Sardakar. Uh, so they're, they're the emperor's dudes. They make an attempt on his life and it fails. The Fremen are all hoping, especially the young men, that Paul will kill Stilgar to take control, Paul finds a way to keep Stilgar and yet also take control. Gurney is still convinced that Jessica is the betrayer of Duke Leto, so he puts a knife in her back and tries to convince Paul that she should die. Paul does not convince by this because he knows that that is not what happened, and then he convinces Gurney. And uh, then Paul is thinking that his uh, his prescience of the future is not working super well, so he might have to up the ante. The whole time, he is making a real effort to try to figure out a way to move forward without unleashing the bloody jihad upon the galaxies. And that's where we end. Matt, why don't you start us off with a question? How did people feel about the, the description of riding the sandworm? Because I found that really interesting. I agree. That was really cool. There's a lot yeah. of like detail on where hooks would go to make it roll different ways and like an unnecessary amount of detail on it, but it made it interesting. Yeah, there, it was definitely very thorough, though it did take me a minute to realize that everybody got on the worm. That took me a minute, too. Like, at I, first, I thought it was just one person, but it's like, yeah, it's like the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time I had sort of a question about, you know, what all the actual workings of riding the worm and getting getting on, getting off and everything, it was right after when Frank Herbert went into more detail about about how it worked. So yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out perfectly. I was I was like, oh, that's a good question for the for the podcast. And then I got to it, and I was like, well, it was answered. So I don't have to ask that anymore. <laughs> so does anybody else think it's strange that they're always so surprised when people use rockets or artillery? It's a big deal is made out of it. They dared to use rockets. I understand we're, you know, 10,000 years in the future and we've got shields and laser guns, 
it just seems strange that it would be just such a foreign thing, such an absurd thing to use rockets. Well, it's probably as as reasonable to use rockets as somebody bringing a musket to the fight. You know, it's really outdated tech from my understanding. Right. But their their primary way of using uh, of hand to hand combat is to use a knife. It's not like it's not like it's more primitive than that. I mean, it doesn't get more primitive than using a a sharp pointy thing to stab somebody. You might be right, Matt, about the outdated thing, but I didn't read it that way. I thought it was like I thought of two possible reasons. One is um, the danger of bringing a sandworm by making concussive sounds. Two is whether people who are not the Fremen would doubt that Fremen would even have that or or, or if they had it would bother to use it because it's not their traditional way. I I don't know if that's true, but that those are two thoughts that came to mind for me. The Baron used artillery and Mm -hmm. that was like a, a big surprise thing, too. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Who took over Arrakis? The Beast Raban. He wanted that artillery to stay for some reason, and the Baron's like, "Nope, I'm taking that back." Yeah, well, because he needed to. He needed the metal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you think that that might be because it's it's too overt? Like it, what they're trying to do is is not be obvious, and that how and they're fighting like it all has to be sort of secretive, and you have to be able to paper over it, and those are just too obvious. There could be some of that going on. I don't know. It is. It it is. That, that's a really interesting thing to bring up because when I was reading it, I was I wouldn't say surprised or anything, but it is always just kind of like like what you're saying, Dave. That you know that most of the Fremen actions and the most of the things that are going on on this planet are seem very primitive on the surface, and uh, and then all of a sudden they bring in this, which which like you said, Matt, is not really high tech. It's not the the highest tech that they they have anymore. It just it seems like it's it's so radically different from just this the primitive based hand to hand knife wielding type of combat combat that most of what we're we're getting is is that yeah and i feel like the fremen makes such a big deal about the shields drawing the attention of the 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 makers the worms that if the artillery was a concern in that regard then they would also acknowledge that and they don't they don't for a second acknowledge that the artillery can summon them which is weird because it should right yeah (laughs) it might just be because it's a you use it and then it's done whereas the shield's running the whole time so inevitably a worm will come to get you whereas if you use a like a rocket you use it you know a worm's coming but then you can move out and avoid it or you know it's coming so you know that you can get to safe ground nearby you know, an mm-hmm. observer or, or whatever. I, I don't know. I I didn't really so much time thinking about about that detail. It just didn't really jump out at me. But it is an interesting point, and I don't have a good answer. Is Paul by the end of this this section that we read? Is Paul basically an addict that's in search of his next fix? Because it's, it yeah. kind of it seems, seems like, that way, doesn't it? Yeah, that, is, it's, that was my question too. Yeah, his his wanting the uh, the water of life and the mention of his um, visions kind of getting further away because his spice tolerance and his spice intake has increased just makes it seem like yeah he he want he wants more but also the the funny thing is like i I think it was one of the earlier chapters of this section he's very confused he doesn't really know what's real what's dream what's future what's now what's past Mm -hmm. he's just kind of all over the place and then by the end of this section he seems much more stable and with it but he's you know, very much like wanting 
the the visions to come back. He wants to be able to know what's what's happening. But in yeah. my mind, it seemed like he was in a worse place earlier on when when all the spice was really affecting him to when it actually kind of stabilized and he uh, he wasn't having as many visions. Well, it feels like at the beginning of this section, there was a lot of uncertainty about his future, uh, especially in regards to his relationship with Stilgar. And that is all resolved by the end of this section. You know, by the time we get to the end of this section, he is, in fact, the the leader of the of the Fremen. He is taking back his title of Duke and therefore the, the rightful leader of Atreides and all that. But in contrast, he doesn't have his visions anymore. Like It feels like he's worried that if he doesn't continue to have that, then his authority will go along with it. Yeah, I didn't get the impression that he was worried about his loss of authority, but that he was he's just obsessed with this idea of preventing mass death. And as his as he's used more and more used to the spice in his diet, it requires more, which is where the addiction thing I think comes in quite nicely there, Zach. So I don't know that he was worried about protecting himself in order to protect himself specifically, but rather because he's trying he maybe he maybe he's trying to protect himself because he thinks the only way to save, you know, all these lives is if he's in charge and he right. can and he can control it. You know, that makes you wonder if all his future visions might not just be hallucinations. You yeah. know. I don't know. We have some evidence that he's right about things, but you know, this is all it I don't I don't think this is the case. It would be an interesting thing if this was all just a uh, drug induced delusion from a rich kid who's been told he's special his whole life. (laughs) Yeah, because they they made a a point of it with the uh, gurney trying to um, dab Jessica about how he didn't see that then decides that he's got to go and kill the uh, the maker worm, which um, they apparently have one isolated in water which I thought was a really cool detail that water is sort of like their kryptonite almost, the worms. Right. And so they can... It's poison to them. Yeah, they can capture them and, and kind of keep them isolated if they just keep them in water. And then when they drown them, then it gives them the water of life, some sort of secretion on their death. But do, so do you think that him drinking the water of life is, go, is going to do the thing that he wants to do? Is it going to completely open him up? Is it go, going to kill him? I mean, we know it's not going to kill him, but yeah. what, do you, what are you guys thoughts on when he actually drinks that the next, the next section? Oh, I, I think he's going to go super Saiyan when, yeah. when he drinks it. He's gonna, it's going to completely unleash all his potential and it may be to his detriment also. We'll see. Yeah, for at least a period of time, he will have complete control over all of the Bene Gesserit powers. He'll be the ultimate being. What do you guys think is going to be the role of Paul's sister, Aaliyah? Is she going to become sort of like a soothsayer or is she going to be like a a sacrifice or something? Because we can tell that she is not loved by the Fremen. They're all weirded out by her. So what do you think the possibilities are for, for Aaliyah? I think she'll be like a soothsayer advisor or scribe for Paul. I kind of feel like they are not going to permit her to be in the group. I'm not sure how that exactly will play out, but I think she may get exiled or... Okay. Yeah, they definitely um, have some trepidation about her her weird adult childness because of her experience. Well, she's barely two years old, but she's basically like the equivalent of, I'm thinking, a 10-year-old maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah. But she talks and acts like an adult and she knows things that no child two or 10 years old would ever know. So this was my question uh, or one of my questions. When do you become an adult? Like there's a few different measures that we have. One is at a certain age, like in our culture, typically 18 is considered an adult, right? There's when your body is fully grown is typically a measure of when you become an adult, like when you can start doing all the things, physically can do all the things that an adult can do. But here we've got a scenario where you have an individual whose consciousness has been around presumably for hundreds of years and their body is only two years old. So would you consider them an adult because of their awareness and um, ability to think and and uh, draw conclusions and have memories and experiences to relate things to. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I think the mind is definitely a, a very large component of it because I know people that are full grown, like 40 year olds that are, do not act anything close to an adult. I'm not talking about any of you guys, mind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say, we're all right here, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> I like Zach's implication that he knows people. Yes. <laughs> Other people. Yeah. Um, so I think that the mind definitely has a huge, huge part of it. But in this case, it's a really weird situation with Aliyah that she is, she has like memories and training and stuff of Reverend, mem- Reverend mothers of old. Right. So the, are, are, is it her adulthood or is it someone else's, you know? Yeah. Like she, yeah. they specifically say she does can't, she doesn't identify with the other children. Like they don't understand her and she doesn't understand them because she doesn't have, she already has all those experiences from childhood, from several childhoods, presumably. She doesn't need to have all these things happen again for the first time, but her body is such that she's tiny and barely capable of doing any things that a a typical adult would be able to do. It'd be really weird if a two-year-old's talking to you like an adult. Yeah. (laughs) Thousands of words. Thousands of words. Yeah. I was just thinking. (laughs) Did you guys like the the narrator's voice for Aaliyah? I'm glad that they didn't have an actress because that would have been weird too. The whole back and forth between narrator voices and actor voices is a strange thing yeah. about this. Yeah. It, and it's it's very inconsistent on this one. Yeah. That's that's the part that's strange to me. Like I've been going and, l- and listening to it just because I, I wanted to hear what they were going to do for certain parts and, and the way people would sound. And with Aliyah in particular, I was like, ooh, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but having the so, so elderly narrator gentleman try and do a very, you know, like when he does the, when he does the other voices for the different characters, it seems fine to me. Even, yeah. even the female characters are okay. But when he's trying to really do the really soft, really low, di- you know, <laughs> did he uh, speak with voice. a lisp? And no, he didn't. He didn't lisp it up at all. No. Nope. Uh, even though that's referenced quite even heavily. Though he says her line and then says, she said with a lisp or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird dodge. Like why, why do they completely avoid that? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. There's plenty of like in animation, there's plenty of child characters who are acted out by by older people. Right. Like this isn't it's a normal thing, right? It's not like it's super weird. Yeah. Now the scenes that she was in, maybe none of them warranted having the full cast. So yeah, for whatever criteria they used for this, it's very very strange. Why would you do a budget version of Dune, like the most famous science fiction fiction book ever? 
I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of words that need to be said. (laughs) So having, and, and there's no shortage of characters either. So. Yeah. Yeah. My, my guess is it's, you know, it's a budget concern. That's the only thing I can, I can say. I'm not sure how big of a moneymaker audiobooks are. Yeah. That's that's the other thing. The old man doing the little girl's voice was a bit odd. There's no doubt about that. Why didn't the Baron have his own heir? Because he likes like little boys and girls. Yeah, <laughs> but answer. I mean, we're 10,000 years in the future. There's no reason why technology couldn't have facilitated this. Uh, well, maybe yeah. it's considered, you know, evil or something to uh, to artificially impregnate. And and that's going to stop the Baron? <laughs> Maybe he, maybe his, uh, maybe his Johnson doesn't work. I don't know. <laughs> maybe he's shooting blanks. I don't know. Well, isn't uh, Paul his heir? Yeah, Paul's his heir. Um, yeah, that's so that that is well, an interesting no, Jessica, question. No, is Jessica is, Je- is his Jessica niece, is though. It's his niece, not his oh. daughter, right? Maybe I misread I thought, that. I thought they said. I think that. she's his daughter. She's his daughter, right? Which makes. Paul, his grandson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was that was. Well, yeah. I, I think the answer is easy. The the Benny Gesserit have orchestrated things so that uh, he had a daughter. Fade Routha was important because he was supposed to mate with female version of Paul if Jessica had done what she was supposed to do. So I think it's the uh, the Rev moms who are uh, taking care of stuff here. Right, but he as a Baron certainly could have. Um circumvented that by impregnating by having a woman impregnated with his seed to facilitate an heir i don't think that the bene gesserits have that much control yeah i don't know um probably and he he doesn't uh, know that he doesn't know that jessica's his child either no he doesn't yeah yeah i don't know maybe um maybe it's maybe he killed his children (laughs) you know like he's a he's a bastard right so maybe he (laughs) didn't find any of them uh, yeah, answers do it. Why can't we? Maybe he he didn't find any of them acceptable, or or maybe maybe it's because they they weren't quote noble because they were you know in the house Harkonnen they don't um, they don't uh, accept bastards. Um, well, he or something. also I don't know. might want to handpick his heir. If you've birthed an heir, you don't get much say in who they are. But. That's a really good point, Matt. I think that gives him more control. Yeah, I feel like he would feel more loyalty to his own child from a handpicked mate than his ne- than picking which nephew he wants. Maybe he didn't want to have to feel loyalty. Maybe he wanted to make a more you know sort of callous decision and try to make the best choice possible. And if they piss him off, he can have them killed, and that's that. Yeah, you can yeah, still, never you can still that. do that with children. With your child, oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Paul's Paul's attempts at leading without calling out Stilgar to try, you know, to keep keep him alive, will that be enough for the Fremen warriors, for the warrior men of the Fremen, or are they going to need some sort of brutal fight or some other act to uh, convince them of the uh, of the Paul's leadership? Yes, I think I think it'll be enough. Yeah, um, uh, the line I like: "Should I cut off my own right arm?" Yeah, yeah. It's that feeling of this is a stupid tradition. I understand why it came to be, but why are we getting rid of the strongest among us in order to prove that we are the strongest? That just weakens everybody, which I think using their logic, Fremen logic of of everything is about the tribe. I think that's how he was able to lever some understanding that, yes, you've been doing this traditionally, but no, it's not a good idea because it weakens the tribe. 
Yeah, I'm not sure everybody's going to get on board, but he'll sway the majority. It's kind of an interesting thing to me about that, the whole thing, because on the one hand, these people are very stuck in their ways. And when he wants to change things around and he says ways change and everything, he's basically, he's doing the leadership thing. He's, he's saying, I'm the, I'm the top guy. Listen to me now. I don't think that the way that you guys were doing things was correct. I also think that, you know, that might be difficult for them to, like you said, get on, fully get on board everybody because there are going to be ones that are, are very much stuck in their ways and they don't want this outsider from off world to come in and just change everything around. But when they say that he's the Lisan al-Gaib and, and they all believe that, then that might be enough because he's their sort of Messiah coming to take them out of the, the bad times and everything. Yeah, we have, there's the whole religious component in here, too, which gives him an advantage. The the stuff that was implanted, you know, by the Bene Gesserit hundreds of years ago here on, on Arrakis. And also when your stuff is working, people will fall in line. Like when things are going well and they, it sounds like despite the attempts of the Harkonnens to, to kill them, kill all the Fremen, which they, they half believe that they have, even though Thufir Hawat knows better. A lot of the plans that Paul is giving people, it's mentioned that they're working and they're coming back and saying, yes, that worked. And that's a, you know, as long as you're succeeding, I think people are willing to fall in line more. Yeah. Even if they're not 100%, you know, convinced. Um, this is our fifth episode in this series, and we've got one more to go where we're going to be talking about the last section in the book and probably just do an overview of the whole story. And then after that, we're going to be watching the movie and uh, we'll have a water cooler chat about that. So hope you want to tune in for that one. Tell us what you think of Dune in the comments. Like and subscribe if you're into that kind of thing. If you want more content like this, you can find everything we've done at 64tacos.com. If you really liked it, go to buymeacoffee.com slash 64tacos where you can buy us a taco. Thanks for listening. I caught it on audio. What was that? <laughs> yeah, plane just went overhead. <laughs> My uh, or an ornithopter. Who's, is, uh, nearby. Who's, whose house did that happen in? Yeah. Was that you, Zach? Yeah, that's mine. Oh. Yeah, we li- we live right by uh, Air Force Base, so. Oh, is that what it was? It sounded like you, someone was pulling something across the floor. It's still glo- it's still going. <laughs> Do they dare to use rockets at the base? <laughs> were were you trying to dispose of a a slave boy uh, in an ineffective manner, and then <laughs> you were not going to be forced to kill the yes. people that didn't do a good job? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs>